So, Jim, can you present your patient with essential thrombocythemia? This patient is 58 years old and initially presented in 2007 with elevated platelets and on evaluation at that time was found to have a JAK2 mutation and a diagnosis of essential thrombocythemia was made. Her platelets at that time were seven to 800,000, but she seemed to be having at least some vague symptoms, so we elected to start her on Hydrea. She was only on that for three or four months, and then she developed a fairly large, rapidly moving squamous cancer on her hand that was removed. And we talked about the pros and cons of continuing on Hydrea, and she elected to go off of that at that time. We switched her to Agrolin, and she did very well with that for two or three years, but then began to develop constitutional symptoms, some enlargement of her spleen, and a bone rare at that time did show developing myelofibrosis. So at that point, we started her on ruxolitinib. She was also seen at a tertiary center for consideration of transplant, and her current status is that she is considered to be a transplant candidate, but we've been managing her primarily with ruxolitinib. In addition, she had a 20Q- mutation and some other features in her bone marrow that suggested she may have a combined myeloproliferative myelodysplastic disorder. We've been using erythropoietin injections with her as well to help to maintain her hemoglobin levels. And she's been very stable, although we're seeing here just in the last few weeks that it's becoming harder to support her hemoglobin levels at about the 10 level where she's been for some time. So what was your assessment of her story and her situation today, Ruben? Well, I'd say hers is a very typical story with the myeloproliferative neoplasms. They really are very long chronic illnesses with a variety of stages and phases you know, an evolution of therapy. She, again, has really moved from ET to really being more overt in terms of myelofibrosis. She has this karyotypic abnormality that certainly may be additional explanation of her phenotype of the disease. She had progressed through a couple different, more truly just myelosuppressive agents like hydroxyurea and anagrolide, and now on JAK inhibition as a way to try to impact the splenomegaly and the symptoms. I think she's had a good benefit from the JAK inhibition. But as others have found, there are times that certainly in terms of the aspect of the cytopenias, the cytopenias can be a bit more challenging in terms of trying to really accomplish all of our goals simultaneously. So again, other than transplant, any drugs out there or clinical trials out there, Ruben, that you think would be worth considering for her? So this is an individual that could benefit. At the moment, I think her platelets are too high to be considered for the procreatinib study, but otherwise, if that agent were available, that certainly would be a consideration. There are second-line therapy trials with the mamalidinib that could be a consideration. The PRM-151 study is out there for people with anemia that have seen a JAK inhibitor like ruxolidinib. The Emetelstat study is a second-line study as well that amongst many others. So there are a variety of different options. Other non-study options that sometimes can be considered would be other agents. So we presented at ASH this year an ongoing study of ruxolidinib with danazol, the androgen. Jim and I discussed that a little bit. That is sometimes an off-study regimen that can be considered. 
we saw with that combination not overwhelming activity, but we saw activity. And it's a fairly inexpensive and pretty non-toxic therapy. You know, we judge benefit in terms of improving anemia or less drug emergent anemia or improvement of thrombocytopenia, which in her was less of a factor. So do you think that might be something to consider in her at this point? I'd say it at least be a consideration. You know, other things that people have tried off study have included the erythropoietin. She's already on an erythropoietin stimulating agent, as I recall, correct? Yes. And we found that that can be helpful, but it's probably in the minority. JAK inhibition does inhibit the pathway of signaling for erythropoietin. So to some degree, it may work against us a little bit. People have tried off-label use of the image in this setting, but again, there may be a little bit of the same difficulty of inhibiting the mechanism of action. What's her life situation, Jim? Does she have a family? Is she working? She's actually working. She's a very busy realtor here in the area and has an office. She's the boss, and she is very, very active with this. So maintaining her quality of life and energy level is important to her. What about her family situation? She has other family. She's not married, but she has other family in the area. What's kind of been her attitude about this, Jim? And again, is she the kind of person who's out there researching it, talking to other people, or pretty much coming to you? She's done some of her own research, and I think that she has gotten a lot of benefit from being seen at the tertiary center here in the area to consider what her options are and have a good understanding of her disease. So she'll occasionally bring me an article or talk about something that she's read or heard. But basically, I think she understands that it's really best for her to continue on the program that we've set out for her. Ruben, at what point would you think about transplant with her? Well, I think at 58, you know, again, very similar to our prior discussion, you know, someone ages, the enthusiasm lessens, but clearly at 58, it still is a very viable option. For mine, I view that the strongest drivers of movement to transplant are really any indications of movement towards acute leukemia. So acquisition of additional karyotypic abnormalities with the baseline 20Q would concern me. Increasing blasts would concern me. You know, a real loss of the benefit to the therapies that she's had where the spleen really starts to grow or the counts really start to get significantly out of whack. But for my end, the biggest driver is really that phenotypic move more toward the AML side of the spectrum. Overall, Jim, as you look back at the four years you've been treating her, what's her quality of life been like? I think her quality of life has been very good. As I said, here in the last few weeks, it's been harder to support her hemoglobin levels, and she's had a little more fatigue. I wouldn't say there's a major change, but we all are starting to see that maybe it's time for her to get in touch with the transplant center again and see whether that's an option for her now or not. In fact, we had a discussion about that today while Ruben was there with us. I think that was very helpful for her. What was the discussion like? What did she have to say? Well, we discussed the option of trying Danazol, and I think she was certainly willing to give that a try. But she had not been back to see the transplanters in probably a year or a year and a half. And I think we decided that she should make that trip again and go see them, probably have another bone marrow evaluation, and just see where things stood for her right now. 
because it does seem like there's been some slow evolution in her disease. Just to take sort of a deep breath for a second, Jim, you know, we've done these kinds of programs where we've had investigators go out and visit practices and, you know, lung cancer, breast cancer, a lot of the common cancers, but I don't think we've done it with a disease that's as uncommon as myeloproliferative diseases that we're talking about today. What's it been like to, you know, go through this experience for you today, Jim? Well, you know, I think this is really great because compared to the solid tumors and uh, lymphomas, I have always thought of the myeloproliferative syndromes as kind of, uh, you know, the patients are fairly unique one to the other, and there's less guidance or guidelines. I think it's much more of an art than a science trying to see these patients and make good decisions for them. And so getting a sense of how Ruben, who sees these patients much more frequently than I do, would look at their cases and manage them has really been valuable for me, both you know in the cases that we saw together, but in my other patients too. I guess I'd like to say that you know, in preparing for this, you know, we always think of these as being relatively uncommon, but when I started looking at the number of patients I had from these more complex cases to patients with just less intense polycythemia or essential thrombocythemia, there's quite a few of them. And each one has his own little nuances that may affect their course and their treatment now and in the future. I'm curious too, Ruben, what this experience has been like for you. I guess if you were back in your own clinic, you'd be seeing patients like this all the time. What's it like to see it through the eyes of general oncology? Sure. Well, I think Jim really summarized it well. You know, as I share with patients, you know, these are not common diseases. I mean, there's no question this is not breast cancer or colon cancer, but they're not ultra-orphan diseases either where, you know, somebody rushes to you and grabs you in the hall and says, you know, I saw a patient today who had, you know, blank, you know, both visiting with Bill and with Jim today. There was almost 10 MPN patients that they were able to very effectively see and kind of walk me through and introduce me to today. So showing that it's a very active practice, very rewarding to see in a lot of ways as I see the impact of a lot of the trials and research myself and my colleagues have been involved in, how it's really impacting this group of MPN patients. A lot of these therapies that they're on took a lot of kind of blood, sweat, and tears getting these trials together and a lot of negative studies along the way that were all part of this mix. So it was very rewarding. It was really great seeing both of these fine colleagues in action, you know, and really seeing how the patients were really benefiting from some of the options that have developed. I'm curious what it was like today, Bill, for you to have Ruben in the clinic. I really enjoy it. Matter of fact, if you hadn't taken away early, I had about three or four more patients with different types of hematological problems. I had a relapse of pure red cell aplasia. I had a patient with uh, myelosplastic syndrome with predominantly sinterblast who has unexplained splenomegaly. So we have lots of other cases that we could have used them. It's always fun to have and always educational to have someone else. And we, he helped me a little bit with just ideas on how to manage iron, when to consider ESA therapy as a supplement in one of the patients with myofibrosis. I enjoy this. I could do this anytime. 